This week's episode of Carson Sack is brought to you by Juul, a real alternative to cigarettes. Juul is designed with smokers in mind. With its unique satisfaction profile, simper interface, flavor variety, and lack of lingering smell, Juul stands out as a generally satisfying vapor alternative for adult smokers. This week's episode is also brought to you by water. Yep, just plain water. Fresh H2O is a necessity for a happy, healthy life, so get you some. Water is nature's mixed drink. Whether it's cold, hot, anyway, water is always a refreshing, delicious option for liquid intake. Now, hit that ish. Friends, family, ladies, gents, and anyone else that is tuned into Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is the 26th installment of this family-friendly, fantastic podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to do the usual balls. We're going to recap and preview college football. There's a huge week in college football this week. We're going to also recap and preview NFL games from last week and this week. And then at the end, I'm going to mix in a little NBA talk, a huge... People say huge. I don't think it's that huge. Trade went down in the NBA. The Cavs are on a downward spiral, it seems like. The Warriors are flying under the radar. Other things are going on. MVP races are already being given to Giannis. Just so many things that I could talk about with the NBA, but we're going to keep that a little short and sweet because I'm going to dive pretty deep, headfirst, into this weekend of football. But... Before we get to any of that, I have to give a shout-out to my boys on Audubon Avenue in Lexington, Kentucky. Let me just say, each week the house comes together in a big brotherhood event, and they bet on games, and they are 4-0 in this last week, and they call it the Delt Dumpsack Pick of the Week. So, like I said, 4-0 the last four weeks. Congratulations, fellas. Super happy for you. I'm sure... 5-0 is coming this week, and y'all are just going to keep the ball rolling. Now, also, one more thing before we get into it all. I just want to say thank you for listening. As always, subscribe, review on iTunes. I just came across a statistic. I have now over 2,000 listens for every podcast I've put out. That's for 25 episodes, over 2,000 listens. I want to thank all of you all. And I watched the Ric Flair documentary last night, gave me some confidence, so I'm just going to put this out there. This podcast is only going upwards. Um, Whether you are just now listening to it, whether you're a listener from the first episode, if you want to be cool and say, oh, I was a fan back when he was just doing this in his room, in his apartment, in, in college and everything, go right ahead. But whether you were there then or you're just listening now or you're not even... You're going to listen in 50 episodes. That's fine. This podcast is only going to get better. It is only going upward. The way I approach this every week, the work ethic, the attitude I have for this, there's no way this podcast isn't going to succeed. I I want, I dare you actually, to try and go out there and find a better podcast by a college student, whether it's a sports one, anything. I don't care. The insight I give you on this the humor that I sprinkle in with this, 
I'm not saying it's the best podcast ever. It's not. It's got some kinks to work out. Literally, I've only done 25 episodes of this. I don't even have a mic right now. I'm coming to you live with the mic on my MacBook Air. I'm doing this on GarageBand. It's not like I'm in some studio, have all this production value or anything. This is literally the bare necessities, and it's still producing quality podcasts, good insight, humor throughout it, and I am clearly getting listeners with over 2,000. So I want to thank you for the support. I'm going to continue to bust my ass with this to make it better, make it grow. Like I said, when I first started this, I guess, season, when I got back with it, I'm going to have new segments, new ideas, guests on the show. I have a couple guests in the new near future that I'm trying to work out dates and when they're available. If I can pull those through, they're going to be great interviews, going to be very insightful, going to try and get those squared away so I can do that. But like I said, this podcast is only going to get better, only going to grow in popularity. So hopefully you're listening now and you can say, hey, I was a fir- I was a listener when it was first going, wasn't that big. And if you're not, that's fine. I don't really care. Because either way, with or without support from some some people, this podcast is only going to get better, and it's only going upward. So now that all of that is taken care of, we can now finally get into the week that was in college football. The first game we need to look at was the 7-2, 7th ranked Penn State Nittany Lions going to the 24th ranked 7-2 Michigan State Spartans. Sparty pulls off a I don't want to say big upset, but definitely an upset in this one, 27-24. What was very surprising is their defense for the Spartans. Back-to-back weeks, Penn State's opponent's defense has played outstanding. They shut down Barkley just like Ohio State did two weeks ago. On the ground, Barkley only had 63 yards on 14 carries. On the opposite side of the ball, Penn State's defense was good, but their passing defense got exposed. Their cornerbacks got exposed. Uh, Michigan State's quarterback threw for 400 yards and two touchdowns. What isn't really talked about with Michigan State enough and really should be, their running back with LJ Scott is one of the best in the Big Ten, and he just flies under the radar so much. He doesn't get a lot of a workload. He only had 14 carries, only 43 yards and a touchdown, but if you watch him at all, the way he runs, the cuts he makes, how patient he is, and when he finally does see some opening, how hard he runs through that, and he always looks for contact, which you don't see a lot in backs these days. He's a good running back, flies under the radar a lot, just because Michigan State doesn't get a lot of publicity in the Big Ten sometimes with Michigan, with Ohio State, with Wisconsin, with Penn State being up near the top. Michigan State having a bad year last year, and this year, not a mediocre by any means, just a bit, not even a down year either, obviously, but just an above average year at 7-2, even though they are ranked in the top 25. I just think that Michigan State as a team just flies under the radar a little bit too much. They're clearly still in the Big Ten hunt to get to the Big Ten championship game where anything could happen in that game. After the game, uh, James Franklin, a player was trying to walk off the field without shaking hands. He runs over, gets in his face, tells him to go shake hands. I like that a lot. I hate on James Franklin a lot just because I think he's a douche. But in this instance, did the right thing, made the player go show sportsmanship, 
taught him a life lesson that you're not always going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. you got to handle that graciously. you got to just go do what you have to do, even though sometimes you don't want to do it. So shout out to that. Shout out to the Spartans getting a big win at home against Penn State. Once again, 27-24. The next game was a very big, big 12 matchup. You had the 15th ranked Iowa State Cyclones going to the unranked West Virginia Mountaineers. And... I was very skeptical of Iowa State, even though they did beat TCU and they beat Baker Mayfield. Both of those quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks. And like I said last week, previewing this game, I think Iowa State has a game plan and a blueprint to how to beat mobile quarterbacks. Like I said, beat Oklahoma, mobile quarterback. Beat TCU, mobile quarterback. Will Greer, the quarterback for West Virginia, not very mobile at all. He lit them up for 316 yards and two touchdowns. And then on the ground for the Mountaineers, Justin Crawford, Hasn't broken 100 yards in three games, but he does get 102 yards this weekend with 24 carries. Iowa State's offense was held scoreless in the first half, which which really proved to be the deciding factor. They did make a run late in the game, scoring 16 points in the second half. West Virginia came out hot. Their defense showed up, especially in the first half. West Virginia is just a fun team to watch, in my opinion. I like the spread offense they run. They do some hurry up sometimes. Their defense is a little lackluster at times. When they do show up, it's very impressive, but most of the time they don't show up, so they allow yards on them, they allow points. A lot of high-scoring games with West Virginia included. This week, not really, like I said, only 36 points between both teams. Like I said, before all this, wasn't high on Iowa State. Still am not have two big wins, yes, but overall I don't think they're consistently good enough to play week in and week out and win these big games. West Virginia gets a good quality win at home over Iowa State, 20-16. to Now we move to the SEC with the number one team in the country, Georgia, hosting South Carolina. Georgia gets a bit of a hard-fought, bit of a surprising win in a close game, 24-10 over the Gamecocks. Jake Fromm, Two touchdown passes, 196 yards, a very good game managerial type game. Nick Chubb on 20 carries gets 102 yards. Uh, Bentley for South Carolina, the sophomore quarterback who I think is only going to get better as the years progress. I think he could be a Heisman contender by his senior year. He had 257 yards and a touchdown. He was very mobile as well. What killed him, though, was he did have two interceptions, which ultimately really sealed South Carolina's fate. They would be close to maybe getting back into things, getting it to 17-24, and he'd just make a mistake and turn it over, which... That comes with that. Georgia's defense, the best in the country in my opinion. And then at Georgia, the noise, the raucous environment, that's going to happen. I think ultimately this game was pretty good for Georgia. Not in the sense of on-field stuff, but mentally. They're going to get the teams that they play their best shot because they are the number one team in the country. And just because they are Georgia, a pretty nationally powerhouse team program throughout the years but I think I don't think they've gotten complacent complacent but I think maybe that they didn't 
expect as much out of South Carolina as they did get, especially being at home. So I think this is going to refocus them, wake them up a little bit, and they're going to need that to handle the last three games of their schedule. It's a tough one. I'm going to get into that next week. But like I said, maybe not on the field. It wasn't that great of a performance from Georgia. But mentally, I think this is just what they needed, getting that hard-fought win at home against a very young but a very talented South Carolina team, 24-10. Now, another big game that happened this past weekend was you had the number four ranked Clemson Tigers going to North Carolina State, 20th in the country. North Carolina State coming off that embarrassing loss to Notre Dame at Notre Dame. So they came out fiery, ready to pull off the upset, and they were one play away from having it. On the last play, Kayvon Wallace picked off Ryan Finley on the final play, like I said, and sealed Clemson's win. Clemson's offense sputtered a little bit. Kelly Bryant back in action after missing the week before. 191 yards, a touchdown, one interception. Getting the rust off a little bit. If he can, again, just get better and put up better numbers and not just be this game manager, Clemson's offense is good enough because they have enough playmakers around him that they can really be dangerous, and that defense with that front four is very good. Their secondary stepped up big in this game, intercepting Ryan Finley for two interceptions even though they did give up three touchdowns those interceptions came up in critical points and then Tavian Feaster at the end of the third quarter which really just separated and set the tone for the entire fourth quarter at the end of the third he had an 89 yard touchdown run to end the third quarter that like I said kind of put some space between these teams and really set the tone for the fourth quarter between these teams in this game Clemson has a big matchup down the road against Miami we'll get to that in a little bit Clemson, though, right there at fourth in the college football playoff. That one loss to Syracuse does hurt a little bit, but the committee does seem to be taking into account that Kelly Bryant wasn't there, which I think is a little questionable that they put so much emphasis on that, but that'll be decided. They obviously went out. You obviously control your destiny, I feel like, for Clemson. So, like I said, Clemson, big win this past weekend at North Carolina State. A very good team. Their defense very good, stellar defense. Hard-fought win, 38-31 for the Tigers. And then the last game we're really going to dive into was you had the 5th-ranked Oklahoma Sooners going to the 11th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys, and holy hell, a lot of offense. 62-52, to Oklahoma wins this one. Let me throw Baker Mayfield's stat line at you real quick. 24 of 36 for 598 yards. Five touchdowns, did throw two interceptions, but that's all right. Then Mason Rudolph, Oklahoma State's quarterback, let me throw his stat line at you. 28 for 54, so they were slinging the rock all over the field. 448 yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions. And then Oklahoma State's running back Hill, 30 carries, 228 yards, and two touchdowns. And then Anderson, Oklahoma's running back, 21 carries, 111 yards, and a touchdown. What both of these teams did, especially Oklahoma, proved that they're not just passing teams, that when they need it in big games, they can establish a running game, and that is going to help not only Baker Mayfield in games, but Mason Rudolph as well. It takes pressure off of them. I mean, obviously, they're still going to sling the rock. Rudolph threw it 54 times. Baker threw it 36 times. Pretty high numbers, honestly. 
But like I said, it is so important to be a bit of a balanced team and not just rely on passing games and allowing your quarterback to make plays. You have to keep defensive honest. You can't just let them fall back, rush through. You have to make it to where they have to respect your run game and where the play action becomes a viable threat. And that's what Oklahoma was able to do in this game. And if they can continue to do that, I think they're going to be a very dangerous team going down these last couple games. Like I said, Oklahoma, big win in this one, 62-52 over Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. A very good resume builder for the college football playoff. Now, these next games, I'm not really going to get into them. They're just important enough where I have to mention them. In a top 15 matchup between two ACC teams, Virginia Tech went to Miami. It was a pretty sloppy game. Both the quarterbacks turned it over. Uh, Rozier turned it over three times, and then Jackson, the freshman for Virginia Tech quarterback, turned it over two times. The defenses really did step up throughout the game, forcing those turnovers. Miami's defense is very good. They have the swagger necklace where that big hits turnovers they get to put that on bring it back to the days of the old you i love that mark rick is establishing that type of culture there again where miami football is relevant you love that they have a huge game against notre dame next week where i'm going to talk about that in a little bit virginia tech this knocks them completely out of acc championship talk miami sitting at 8-0 10th in the country they moved up a little bit in the college football playoff rankings this week like i said big game against notre dame next week we're going to get into that but the Canes hold on to a good quality win against Virginia Tech 28-10 this past weekend. Then the last game, a big SEC matchup, LSU going to Alabama. LSU pretty much the only team, I think, in the SEC that can actually match up athlete for athlete with Alabama. So many of these players that end up going to Alabama or LSU, the last two schools that they have on their list that they're deciding between is LSU and Alabama. Alabama's defense just really shut down Geis, the running back for LSU, and really exposed Etlene, LSU's quarterback, only completed 12 passes for only 137 yards and an interception. They were throwing the ball short of the sticks every time and just really asking the receivers to make open field plays, and that's just hard to do against a team like Alabama. Jalen Hurts, again, a sort of a pedestrian day, but did find the end zone twice, once through the air, one on the ground. Hurts actually led the tide in rushing with 14. 44 yards and that one touchdown. Alabama just keeps rolling, keeps going. They don't really have a big game, honestly, till that last game in the Iron Bowl against Auburn at Auburn, but that's going to be a game that's going to be in a couple weeks, so we're not going to look at that just right yet. But Alabama, good win. I guess you could say resume builder, but they're already in the college football playoff as of now, and that's up for debate what will happen going down the line, but a good resume-building type win for Alabama, 24-10. We looked back, now let's look ahead to this week in college football, and we got a big game Friday night, November 10th. Washington, 8-1 on the year, going to Stanford, 6-3 on the year. Let's not sleep on Washington just yet. There's a lot, I feel like, that has to happen for them to make the playoff, but don't sleep on them. They're good enough that they can win the Pac-12. They have a good enough record, obviously, to be in that conversation. And if enough happens ahead of them, enough teams lose, Is it gonna? are you going to hold out a Pac-12 champion? Last year, they had the same situation. They needed a lot of help. They got it. They won the Pac-12, and they ended up making it. Granted, they did have a dismal performance against Alabama in the semifinal of college football playoff, but that was last year. Speaking of it being last year, Jake Browning last year as a freshman 
statistically had so much better of a year than he's having this year. He's only got 16 touchdowns, does only have five interceptions, but only has 1,907 yards. By this time last year, I think he had about 18 touchdowns, or no, he had more than that. I think he had 23, and I think he was near 2,400 yards. Just a regression that's okay. Other players around him have stepped up. Their defense has only gotten better. Gaskin, like I said, other players have stepped up. They're running back for them. 918 yards and 10 touchdowns, so it takes the pressure off Browning a little bit. Stanford, always a hard, tough, physical, gritty team. At Stanford, I think Washington is going to get some noise, get some publicity around their name a little bit with a big blowout win against Stanford. I think Love... Gets his games, gets his carries, gets his numbers. But at the end of the day, I just don't think Stanford, the team around Love, is going to be able to do much against Washington. I think Browning has a very good game. I'm thinking four touchdowns over 300 yards and puts Washington back on people's minds to make the college football playoff. Now, the next game is a Big Ten matchup, and I guess you could say it's a big matchup for making the Big Ten championship game. But both of these teams... I feel like are out of the college football playoff talk. Seriously, I forgot to recap it. I swear I didn't just forget it on purpose. Ohio State went to Iowa last week and they played, I want to say, probably their worst game of the year. Iowa dominated them on both sides of the ball. They took away Ohio State's running game with Dobbins and Weber and forced JT Barrett to make throws that the week before he was making and I don't understand why that didn't translate to the next week against Iowa it was at Iowa that's always a tough place to play that's no excuse though obviously Ohio State's good enough to beat good teams like Iowa I just think you can chalk this one up to an experience yes JT Barrett he's a senior he's a leader he's the winningest quarterback in Ohio State's history, but there are so many other players around him that are just young, inexperienced, and the team made a lot of mental mistakes. They gave up plays that they normally don't. Iowa's secondary stepped up, like I said. They forced JT to make throws, and he just couldn't because their secondary was good. And then the O-line for Iowa really stepped up. They didn't dominate Ohio State's defensive line because that's super hard to do, but they provided good running lanes for their running backs. And then the quarterback for Iowa was able to just be there enough where they had to honor the passing game that they couldn't load the box, which is what Ohio State was trying to do because Iowa's running game was really, really good, even better than Penn State's two weeks ago. So, again, Ohio State does lose to Iowa, and I promise you, I didn't leave that off last of the segment a couple minutes ago. I literally just forgot to do it. I am an Ohio State fan, but I'm willing to talk about their shortcomings. But this week, they host the Spartans, both teams at 7-2, a top 13 matchup, Ohio State 13, Michigan State 12. I just like Ohio State a lot in this one. I just think they're going to come out pissed off. They obviously can't make the college football playoff, but they can still win the Big Ten Championship. 
and that's really what they need to focus on now because I, this, so far this season is a disappointment, and it's so hard when your only goal every year as a top program is win the national championship because that's so not unrealistic but so hard to do that the fan base, the team, everything, that if you don't get that, the season's a disappointment, and you can't really look at that honestly as a disappointment because you can win the Big Ten Championship. You can have all these All-Americans. You can have people in the Heisman contender. You can have people in contention for end-of-the-season awards. And that can still, granted it's not what you wanted, you can still look at that as positives and good things to come from a bit of a letdown of a year. I just don't think Michigan State's offense is going to be able to get anything going against Ohio State's defense. L.J. Scott, as I mentioned before, I love him a lot as a running back, but I just don't think he's going to be able to do enough to help Sparty win. I think J.K. Dobbins comes out, runs hard. I think Mike Weber comes out, runs hard. And I think J.T. Barrett is just... He's so pissed off, I feel like, because he knows how good he is, how well he can play, and he just doesn't from time to time. And I think this game... Comes out, he shows, hey, I am a good quarterback. That's That's been proven, just not on a consistent enough basis. Ohio State's pissed off. Make it to the Big Ten Championship game, win it, sure. Ohio State over Michigan State in this one. And now, probably, not even probably, it is the game of the weekend. You have the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs going to the 10th ranked Auburn Tigers. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I like Auburn a lot in this game. Gus Malzahn is an offensive wizard, so they have that to prepare for, Georgia. Yes, that defense is the best in the country, but Gus Malzahn, one of the best offensive minds in the country as well. Auburn's quarterback, Stilthelm, only he's four yards short of 2,000 yards, only 11 touchdowns, but what's impressive is only three interceptions, which is big because you can't turn the ball over against a talented team like Georgia. And then Johnson, the running back for Auburn, 15 touchdowns on the year and 868 yards. So that's there as well. Auburn's defense, I think, through the first four weeks was only giving up 12 points a game. And they did play Clemson in one of those games. So their defense is nothing to be slept on either. I think from for Georgia is going to have a little bit of difficulty going to Auburn. Yes, I understand he did go to Notre Dame earlier in the year, but they only put up 20 points there. I think what Georgia's going to have to do is ride Nick Chubb, the great running back for them, ride him as much as you can, get him 25 to 30 carries, and hope that he can produce against Auburn's good defense. Because I think Fromm is going to make some mistakes throughout this game. And I think it being at Auburn really helps Auburn in this one. I'm going to go with Auburn to pull off the upset. You know me. I've been a huge Georgia supporter. I, at, In my preview of college football, I picked them to make the playoff and everything. And so far that's come true. But I just think there's a perfect storm for Georgia to lose this game. And Auburn to make a big win, help their resume a lot, and move to 8-2 and two on the year. So I'm going to go with the Tigers at Auburn. To beat the Bulldogs this week as 10 beats number one. Then a next game we need to talk about. It's a huge top six matchup. TCU going to Oklahoma. TCU six, Oklahoma fifth in the country. At Oklahoma, both of these teams, their defenses 
don't really show up most of the time, which leads to a lot of yardage against them and a lot of points against them. I expect this game to probably not be as much of a shootout as Oklahoma was in last week, 62-52, to 52, but I do expect this to be high scoring, probably in the 40s, high 30s, low 40s. I'm going to... I like TCU in this one. I think they know how, both of these teams know how dire and desperate they need this game to win to keep their college football playoff hopes alive. But Gary Patterson is more of an experienced coach than Oklahoma's coach. He did slide in, Oklahoma's coach did, to the perfect situation with Baker Mayfield and all the talent around him. But I think Patterson is just going to draw up a game plan on defense that is going to be able to slow down Mayfield enough. I bet you he honestly, both of these teams need to go and look at the Iowa State tape against each team and model their defense a little bit after them this week. Uh, Peterson's a, Patterson, excuse me, is a defensive-minded coach, so I think he's going to have a bit of an edge in doing that and drawing up a game plan to beat a versatile, dynamic quarterback like Mayfield. I think Kenny Hill has a big game through the air and on the especially on the ground and don't sleep on Anderson the running back for TCU he's cooled off a little bit since I first mentioned him on the podcast but he's still a threat Baker Mayfield will have a good game expect that as always but in the end I'm going to take TCU over Oklahoma knocking Oklahoma out of the college football playoff contention And now it's time to get into another top seven matchup between the Catholics and the Convicts. Third-ranked Notre Dame going to the seventh-ranked Miami Hurricanes. The 1980s are calling. We want our games back. That's right. 2017, both of these teams are finally relevant, and this game finally has some big game buzz around it. Game day is going to be there. All eyes are going to be on this game. 8 o'clock ABC at night. Big game. Huge playoff implications. Huge. Notre Dame is the more proficient running team. Miami is the more proficient passing team. I like Miami in this one. Just let me give you some breakdown. The pass yards allowed for Notre Dame, 245 yards to the air. Miami's quarterback, Rozier, is good enough where he can exploit that defense, that secondary, and that can happen. And then the rush yards allowed for Miami, 170 yards. I think Notre Dame does get their points and yardage on the ground. They meet their quota. They put up big numbers there. And then the pass yards for Notre Dame that they give up is just going to be too much. And I think Miami's quarterback takes advantage of that enough. And the passing yards for Miami that they give up, 197 through the air. And that has always been the question for Notre Dame this year is can they get enough contribution from Wimbush to – make teams honor his arm, not be able to load the box. And I think this game, they do it a little bit enough where he does make some plays through the air, but near the end of the game and probably in the middle of the third quarter, I think Miami's defense steps up and they shut down the passing game. And if Miami gets up by 10, 13, 14 points and Notre Dame has to throw the ball and they are in need of big plays through the air, That only helps Miami because they can drop back, rush three, which does get dangerous. You have to watch the draw plays with Notre Dame and a great run game. And Wimbush is mobile as well, so don't forget about him. But if Notre Dame has to get these big plays through the air and has to make these plays passing, it's going to be hard and a little questionable at times. So at Miami, 
The swagger is back. Oh, I think I got my swagger back, as they like to say on Vine. I'm going to go with the Hurricanes over Notre Dame in this one, moving Miami right into that college football playoff talk. I honestly think you put them in if they win this game. Notre Dame, though, if they do make it, I honestly think you jump them ahead of Alabama and put them as the number two team. But that's if they win, but I don't think they're going to. I think Miami gets a big, big win over the Catholics in this one. And now these next games, I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to give a little insight and what I think is going to happen. 20th ranked Iowa goes to 8th ranked Wisconsin. If Wisconsin wants to make the college football playoff, they need to start winning these games big. It is a top 25 matchup, though. I think that's the first one they've had all year. They're 1-0 against top 40 teams, which whatever, sure. Wisconsin is going to come out trying to establish the run game. I think they do. I think Iowa coming off last week's, it's going to be a hangover for them. I think Wisconsin wins this one, and I think they win it by around 18 to 21 points because they need they know they need to start winning these games and in blowout fashion. So that's what they're going to do. I have Wisconsin that helps, so I'm going to take the Badgers in this one. And then the only other game I'm really going to look at is Alabama, second in the country going to the 16th-ranked Mich- Mississippi State Bulldogs. I think Mississippi State is overrated. I think Alabama goes in there, dismantles them, shuts down Fitzpatrick, the talented quarterback for Mississippi State. I think Alabama imposes its will on defense and offense. I think Jalen Hurts has a big game on the ground. I think Damian Harris has a big game on the ground. And I think Ridley, the wide receiver who isn't talked about enough with Alabama, has a big game through the air. And I think Alabama's defense shows up and shuts down Fitzgerald as Alabama rolls to a big win against Mississippi State. Now that that is taken care of, let's parlay all this football talk into some NFL speak. That sound, as you know, means it is time for the Rapid Fire Recap, and there is no theme this week, just straight facts. First game, boom, Bengals go to the Jaguars, where this game should have been fought in the UFC octagon as AJ the Spider Green tried to choke out Jalen Ramsey, but at the end of the game, all the Jaguars did was make the Bengals tap out. Tap or snap, baby. Jaguars win this one, 23-7. Next game, boom, the Ryan Gosling lookalike Jared Goff must have been in his notebook all week. I mean playbook, as he puts up four touchdowns against the Giants, and Eli Manning just might have been reading the book of Eli, because he played like he was blind out there. Whoops, spoiler alert. Rams win this one, 51-17. Next game, boom, I'm a good quarterback, said Matt Lyon Ryan, as the Falcons go to the Panthers, where wham, bam, thank you ma'am, Cam Newton pulls out a good NFC South big divisional win, 2017. Next game, boom, Colts at Texans, no Deshaun Watson, no J.J. Watt, leaves a lot of electricity lost for the Texans as the lights go out on them as the Colts gallop out of Texas with this one, 20-14. Next game, boom, Broncos at Eagles, Brock Osweiler has a misspelled word in his tattoo, which means he makes poor life decisions and maybe made another one, thinking he could be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Carson Wentz has another huge day, making it cool to be a ginger again, making myself wonder, hey, should I dye my hair red? Eagles win this one at 51-23. Dye my hair red or bring back the frosted tips. Let me know. Next game, boom, Chiefs at the Cowboys where Ezekiel Elliott is so close to becoming a certified degreed lawyer. All he has left to do is pass the bar exam, but luckily, in between studying, he was able to come play a game for the Cowboys on Sunday where he did have a scoring touchdown, and for the Chiefs, Alex Smith looks like the Alex Smith of 
old as the Cowboys win this one 28-17. Last game, boom, Lions at the Packers where Brett Hundley is a mixed man of ethnicity. No problem with that, but I think the Packers are having a little bit of mixed emotions as they thought he was going to be the franchise quarterback once Aaron Rodgers left. But the Lions with Matthew Stafford and the Golden Gate Bridge showed there is no toll on that bridge today as the Lions and Stafford were passing back and forth all over the Packers defense as the Lions win this one on Monday Night Football 30-17. Wowzers, that is done. Next week, I promise you that segment will have a theme like it did for the past two weeks. I apologize. I've been a very busy man, so I didn't have time to come up with that stuff just yet. But like I said, next week, I promise you that we'll have a theme for that segment. If you have any ideas of what that theme should be, because right now I have no fucking idea what it should be, please shoot me a text, email me, um, Facebook me, MySpace me, tweet me, Instagram DM me. I'm totally fine with you sliding in my DMs. I don't care. It's not weird. But just get a hold of me because, like I said, right now I have no idea what that theme is going to be. Moving ahead now, there are about six games I want to talk about in depth enough. And the first one is the Thursday night game between the Seahawks and the Cardinals. If the Seahawks want to stay alive in the NFC West race, this is a game that they need very badly. It's not good. It's not a good look to lose to an in-division team. So... Cardinals 4-4 and on the year. They're resurging a little bit after they lose Carson Palmer. They get Adrian Peterson. He is looking like the AP of old. Seahawks have questions along their front line all year. Their running game is abysmal. Thomas uh, Rawls now is a clear-cut number one back with Eddie Lacy out. Eddie Lacy, I feel bad for you. You had so much potential, and you are just disappointing so much. Hey, those Alabama running backs, they really turn out, though, don't they? <coughs> Trent Richardson. <coughs> Eddie Lacy. <coughs> Mark Ingram, you're still kind of good. No problem. But that's all I have to say about that. I think the Seahawks find a way to win. I think this game is close. I think Russell Wilson has to do too much on his own like he has to do every week. But I think that Seattle's defense is just a little bit better than the Cardinals. Not by much, though. Patrick Peterson, that front line with Campbell, and then uh, Tyron Matthew back there as well. Very good, but I think the Seahawks just a little bit better, and I think that propels them to a big NFC West win on Thursday Night Football. The next game we look at is by two pretty surprising teams this year. The Saints go to the Bills. Bills 5-3 after a tough Thursday night loss to the Jets last week. And then the Saints 6-2. They're on a four-game winning streak, I believe. What has been very surprising in that is the defense for the Saints has stepped up big. Drew Brees has played well as always. I think the Saints come out on top in this one. I think their defense creates some turnovers against Tyrod, who does force things that sometimes tries to do a little too much. And the Saints defense is one of the best in scoring defenses in the NFL. I think they get a defensive touchdown. So look for that. And I think Michael Thomas has a big game. Kelvin Benjamin is going to be playing his first game with the Bills after being traded there two weeks ago. I think him and Tyrod are going to have a tough time developing chemistry. With Kelvin, though, you can just throw it up, and he has a good chance of coming down with it. So look for that that matchup and that connection to be a little hazy at first but I think that's going to get going a couple weeks down the line and I think the Bills are going to still be there in the AFC East title picture but I don't think they're going to end up winning it but 
This week, Saints over the Bills. Moving on, a next game we need to talk about is the Vikings going to the Redskins. And the big one in this one is that the Vikings just activated Teddy Bridgewater off of IR and more than likely are going to play Sam Bradford on IR. The big question here, though, is do you start Teddy or Case Keenum? I don't think you fix what's not broken. And Teddy Bridgewater, you sit down and you sit him. I understand you think he's the franchise quarterback. I do, th- I do too, but Case Keenum just hasn't made enough mistakes. He's won enough games where I don't think you bench him right now. Like I said, you don't fix what isn't broken. So leave him in there, let him ride, and if he does make a couple mistakes, that is the luxury you have. You bring in Teddy Two Gloves, and he comes and performs because, like I said, I think he is the franchise quarterback. I think he is going to be a great quarterback for the Vikings for years to come. But don't put him in just yet. Don't rush him back. I understand he is cleared, everything like that. But let Case ride a little bit longer, and I think the Vikings win this one just because of their defense, and I think Case plays good enough where he can keep his job for one more week. And moving on, we go to the Steelers going to the Colts. I expect the Steelers to win this one, but what I wanted to touch on is this. is Martavius Bryant after the bye week, after being sat down and not played two weeks ago and having this week off, how he handled that one-game suspension. Apparently, Mike Tomlin says pretty good. He's slotted to start opposite of Antonio Brown. I think if they can just get his this fucking problem taken care of. The Steelers' offense is so good with Brown, with Brian, if they can figure it out, with Juju Smith-Schuster, with Big Ben, who is declining in his old years, but he is still good enough. He makes plays. He's mobile enough. He sheds defenders when they try and tackle him. All this. And then Le'Veon Bell, the freaking workhorse back there for him, who gets 30 carries a game, catches about eight balls, check downs a game. And then that defense, that young defense that is improving, that is slept on sometimes, but makes big plays when they need to with Bud Dupree, Ryan Shazier, and then that ageless, the fountain of youth man, uh, James Harrison, and then the cornerbacks, Artie Burns, and then Joe Hayden, and then Mike Mitchell in the back. Like I said, I like this Steelers team a lot. If they can figure out Martavius Bryant's situation and get him, get his head on straight, and get that fucking, like I said, situation figured out, Steelers are dangerous. Colts just don't have it. At Colts, I just don't like it. Steelers beat the Colts this weekend. Moving on, the another game we look at is Cowboys-Falcons. If Ezekiel Elliott plays in this game, Cowboys beat the Falcons. If not, the question is who replaces him. Alfred Morris is a name to look at. Another name to look at that is, I think, a sleeper pick, a dark horse, but I think if he is given the chance, it would play better than Alfred Morris as Rod Smith, undrafted out of Ohio State. Special teams player for them, but he's so versatile, like Zeke, he can pass block, he can catch out of the backfield, and he's a hard runner between the tackles. If he gets the opportunity to play, I think he plays better than Alfred Morris. A healthy scratch has been Darren McFadden before every game this year. I don't think his name is going to come up at all. If it is, I don't think he's going to be anything but a goal line back. So expect a two back system between Morris and Rod Smith and whichever of those has the hot hands. Imagine them to be ridden. Falcons need this win badly, but I just don't see it happening. What is concerning is if the Des Bryant and Terrence Williams, the one and two receivers for the Cowboys who both of these guys left last week's game against the Chiefs with leg injuries if they don't suit up or if Dez doesn't suit up and Terrence Williams suits up that presents a chance for the Falcons Falcons yeah sure the Falcons to be able to shut down the passing game completely and focus on the running game which could be there with Zeke or could not be 
there without Zeke. So just keep an eye on that. I think that all depends on Zeke being there. But in the end, I think the Cowboys win this one. And then the last game I just need to talk about, just because it's the Sunday night game, Patriots go to the Broncos. The Broncos have no idea what the hell is going on. That is a shit show, a dumpster fire. I'm so upset that the Broncos defense is so good and they are just wasting years and talent with that defense because they don't have a quarterback. John Elway, this is your fault. I do not like you at all. Your chin is too prominent. You are a douche, it seems like. The only good thing you've ever done is bring Peyton there. Oh, I had a helicopter spin into the end zone in a Super Bowl. That highlight is played way too much. It's not even that cool. Again, like I said, only reason talking about this is because it's a Sunday night game. I obviously think the Patriots are going to win this one pretty handedly. Tom Brady coming off the bye week last week had two weeks to prepare. That's good. The what the only thing that concerns me is the only knock on Tom Brady is that when defenses are able to get after him that he does have bad games and has problems. The Broncos' front line does have enough to do that with Von Miller but and Shane Ray, but I just don't think it's done enough, and I think the Patriots win this one on Sunday Night Football. So, like I said, I took care of both of the regular balls, college football and NFL, so now I'm going to talk about a ball that is... It's becoming a bit of a regular here on the sack. We're going to talk some NBA action. What the big news is the Cavaliers are apparently on a downward spiral from what I've heard. The Cavs are now, I think, yeah, they're 5-6 and six on the year, so under 500. They win the first game of the year against Boston, and then since then it's been all downhill. Don't worry about it. I don't think the Cavs really care that much about the regular season. I don't think LeBron does either. What I think is going to happen with this team is... They're going to struggle now a little bit. They're going to figure it out. Isaiah Thomas is going to come back. They're going to struggle a little bit working with that chemistry. And then with about two and a half months left of this season, they're going to click, get things going. I don't think it really matters to them if they make the first seed in the playoff, which I think they do need to worry about a little bit more than they are because the Celtics are on a nine-game winning streak. Kyrie is playing very, very good. And then... I'll just get right into it that I teased earlier about this big trade that some people think it's big. I don't, but the Bucks just traded for uh, Eric Bledsoe, who is a good athletic player, does a lot of things well, doesn't do anything great in my opinion. Uh, you add him to Akatapuko, who people are just ready to give him the MVP, and I'm not just yet. He's had great games. He scores in a multitude of ways down in the paint. Not really an outside shooter, which is surprising because he's getting 30-plus points a game, and it's mostly in the paint. You don't see that really that much anymore. Big men these days are stretching the floor a little bit, shooting outside for more, but he doesn't. He gets the ball down in the paint, makes a few moves, dunks, lays it up, all that. Influences the game on both sides of the floor, but rewind, like I said. Cavs will probably figure it out, and with about two and a half months left in the year, we'll have everything figured out and get ready for that playoff push that they do. I think they need to get the number one seed. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to put enough importance on it, but I think it would help them greatly because Boston with Kyrie, and yes, Gordon Hayward is out, but the rest of that team has stepped up, rallied because of that, and they're figuring out ways because of Brad Stevens with lineup changes. Jason Tatum has been a little quiet on the front, Jalen Brown has stepped up a lot in Gordon Hayward's absence. And then Al Horford in the middle, always there, always consistent. So I like what he does. So 
be a little worried about that because playing at Boston is always a raucous, hectic environment. And then I don't think it's that big of a deal if you have to go to Milwaukee. I think that team is just a little too young. I think Antetokounmpo could make some mistakes and just be relied on a little too much. And I think LeBron and Ty Lue and the rest of that team defensively could work out schemes and plans where they could slow him down enough where the other players would have to step up and make big plays. And Bledsoe is capable of doing that at some times, but hasn't been able to do it consistently. And I think they could handle them as well. Another big thing out of the East, the Knicks are 6-4 and four in the year, and the Porzingis, Christoph Porzingis, is playing very well out of his mind, some would say. Had a pretty cool after-game interview where he just said nope and then walked off. So I like that about him. He's bringing some swagger back to New York. If that team can continue to build around him and put enough of emphasis that this is his team, which they have in the offseason after they traded Melo, that it's his team we're building around him. I like the Knicks throughout this year to just be consistent, maybe make the playoffs as the 7 or 8 seed, but just keep an eye on that. Then we go out to the West Coast. What is extremely surprising to me is the Warriors, the defending champions. They're flying extremely under the radar because of all the Cavs talk and the East talk. And what has been the thought to be the storyline throughout the year was that the West is going to be so talked about, so dangerous, so competitive. And the East has really dominated the headlines so far in this early season with Giannis, with uh, Kyrie in Boston, and with the Cavs and their downward spiral. The defending champion Warriors have kind of slid under the radar, and really the only thing that's been talked about a lot in the West is how the big three in Oklahoma City is kind of struggling a little bit to work on that chemistry. I'm not worried about that at all, because I think that talent they have there with those three is just too hard, too hard to be denied that they are going to be good and make the playoffs. They're going to figure that out. They're going to be a threat in the West. But what surprised me the most, like I said, Warriors sliding under the radar. Let's keep an eye on them. You don't really have to because they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to probably be the one or two seed, and they're more than likely going to make the finals. And if they do make the finals, no team in the East is going to beat them. So I know that's way down the line that I'm talking about that, but a lot of stuff going on in the NBA. It's a super long season. I get that. It's hard to find storylines and everything day-to-day that stretch over months to keep you interested, and I know that certain networks, ESPN, hammers home the same shit, and it just gets boring and tedious, but just some things to look at throughout these first couple weeks of the NBA season. So that wraps up this edition, the 26th episode of Carson Sack Podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I'm sorry that I got on a bit of a soapbox before this show started, but like I said, this podcast is growing in popularity and numbers and statistics. It is only going to get better, and it's only going to grow, and that is because of the wonderful listeners like you all who support me, whether it's retweeting tweets, whether it's liking a post on Instagram, whether it's anything, whether it's actually listening, you actually do need to listen. I do appreciate any support, but if you aren't listening and you aren't taking anything away from this podcast, then that's that's not fine, but if you support in some other way, that is fine. Like I said, I just want to thank you all. As always, please subscribe, review retweet tweets, everything like that, all the good shit that I normally say. Um, It's been a busy week. This podcast helped me just take a break from all that, get a breather. So thank you for listening. I enjoyed recording it, and I know you all are going to enjoy listening. And like we end every episode of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, we will be seeing you.